Braves and baseball fans, it's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello and welcome to another edition of From the Diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and we continue to watch the hot stove, hoping to see the moves that are going to help the Braves take shape and also what's happening across Major League Baseball. Shohei Otani introduced as a new member of the Los Angeles Dodgers. We're going to delve into that on this episode. we got a couple of more Braves trades to talk about, and we heard from new Atlanta left fielder Jared Kelnick. All of that is coming up on this episode of From the Diamond. Before we do, I want to remind you to connect with me on social media. Most platforms, you can find me at Grant McCauley. You can also find the show at From the Diamond. You can like the show on Facebook. And most importantly, don't let me bury the lead here. Make sure you subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd be so kind as to leave a rating and a review, that would really help me out. We're trying to grow the show as always, and I very much appreciate the time that each of you give to me every week when you download the show, listen to the show, share it with a friend, all of those good things. So uh, thank you very much for that. If you need links to any or all of those things that I talked about as far as connecting with the show, fromthediamond.com is a great place to get all of those. You can find them on the top navigational bar. And with all that out of the way, it was yet another busy week for Alex Anthopoulos and the Atlanta Braves. There were multiple trades going on since last we talked here on the show since the winter meetings got closed. The first one with the Los Angeles Angels, in which the Braves were able to unload Evan White, that contract that came over with Jared Kelnick, who we'll hear from in just a little while. They were able to get rid of that contract, having already sent Marco Gonzalez to the Pirates after picking him up in the Kelnick trade with the Mariners. But as far as the trade with the Angels goes, it's been a little over a week since that one happened. It was a four-player deal. The Braves picked up infielder David Fletcher, kind of a versatile player in the vein of a Nicky Lopez. They also got catcher Max Stassi, a veteran backstop who they've already traded to the Chicago White Sox since then. If you're sensing a theme about this winter, well, you're not wrong. The Braves, I think, are trying to set at least a franchise record for most trades in an offseason. Uh, Putting that aside, the Braves sent Evan White and left-hander Tyler Thomas, who they picked up in the Rule 5 draft. Those are two players that went to the Angels in exchange for Fletcher and for Stassi. Now, Fletcher is 29 years old. I mentioned he's kind of a Nicky Lopez-type player. That gives the Braves a good veteran infield option for somebody that can play all over the place, the utility guy that every team wants to have. Offensively, he has struggled the last couple of years, a career 277 hitter with an OPS just under 700. Not a lot of power, but I think it's the versatility and the contact skills that could make him a useful player for the Braves. And keeping in mind, the infield, pretty set. You got Austin Riley at third, Orlando Arcia at short, Ozzie Albies at second base, and Matt Olson over at first. Not a lot of opportunities for those guys to take too many days off, but you do want to have somebody that can help you out in the case of an injury, which is going to happen at times to every club every season. You want to have that depth, and the Braves believe that they got a piece in Fletcher that could be useful in that regard. And we also saw this week that he got outrighted off the 40-man roster. Uh, When that initially happened, I was kind of wondering what might be going on, and it may have had more to do with the money and service time 
than anything else. The Braves, from all indications, still intend to bring Fletcher to spring training and for him to be their backup infielder moving into 2024 and beyond. Now, he's owed $14 million over the next couple of years, $6 million in 2024, six and a half in 2025. There's also a million and a half dollar buyout of his first option, which would come in his age 32 season of 2026. So the Braves on the hook for that $14 million might have just kind of dangled him out there through waivers to see if any team might take on that salary, and then they could pivot and pick up a backup infielder from somewhere else. Uh, no team was willing to pick up that $14 million, as I mentioned, for Fletcher. Not really a lot to write home about offensively the last couple of years. He's played just 94 games, and over that time, he's been about a 250 hitter, and the on-base percentage has been sub-300. So not a lot to talk about offensively here, but uh, from all accounts, a great teammate, a good glove, a versatile player, just another piece for the Braves' 40-man roster, albeit they have had to move a lot of salaries around to try to make the most of some dead money that came over along with Jared Kelnick. $12 million they owed Marco Gonzalez, $17.5 million owed to Evan White, which goes to the Angels in this particular deal. That has helped the Braves whittle that initial number down from, again, $29.5 million from the Mariners with Kelnick, so the acquisition cost of picking up their new left fielder, They've been able to, I think, take that down to around $17 million, and that includes dealing Max Stassi to the Chicago White Sox and getting some more relief there. Now, the trades did not stop there. We saw another one go down on Friday, this one with the San Diego Padres. Now, the Braves were targeting a hard-throwing left-handed reliever named Ray Kerr. They picked him up in the deal, and as we've seen all winter long, the Braves are stockpiling relievers, particularly those with a lot of swing-and-miss stuff, high-velocity arms, and left-handers. Remember, the Braves were really at a disadvantage when it came to trying to find somebody to sub in for Dylan Lee after he got hurt a year ago. Tyler Matzik was still rehabbing from Tommy John surgery, so he wasn't available. The Braves traded for Brad Hand, who had mixed results in an Atlanta uniform, but the Braves had to do something as A.J. Minter was the only left-handed relief option that they had, a proven commodity that the Braves could really feel like they could trust in high-leverage situations. Now going into the winter, one of the first big trades was sending five players to the Chicago White Sox and getting left-handed reliever Aaron Bummer, adding him to the bullpen mix, someone else that they can put along with Mentor and the returning Matzik to give them multiple left-handed relief options, and the Braves feel like they've added another one in Ray Kerr, who, with options available to him, can be sent to the minor leagues over the course of the season. You want to have that kind of depth as well. So Kerr may not even be an everyday member of the Braves' bullpen in 2024. Now, if he gets the results, well, those will kind of speak for themselves, but the Braves needed options in a couple of different ways. Now, it does not seem like Matt Carpenter is going to factor into the Braves' plans as far as their roster construction goes. Another in a series of trades to expect where Atlanta will look to move that money off to somewhere else. Carpenter's due $5.5 million for the 2024 season. He's had some moments in his big league career. I thought maybe this might be somebody that the Braves would look to hold on to for a moment, but at $5.5 million, I can understand not doing that because the playing time simply not going to be there for him at DH or any spot in the infield that he is capable of playing. The Padres sent a million and a half dollars in this deal, which takes that salary number, that obligation for the Braves down to $4 million. So perhaps there is a club out there that would look to take on a, at least a portion of that to add a veteran like Carpenter to their mix because he just doesn't seem to have a place here in Atlanta. And more importantly, he doesn't seem to have playing time if he were to stick around at that price. So that's a brief breakdown of what's been going on for the Braves as far as their most recent trades. And we've seen a lot of them this winter. I would expect perhaps a few more. Now, the big question everybody still has is 
When are the Braves going to pull off that deal that could bring them a solution for their starting rotation? At least somebody that could fortify that group. We're starting to see some of the other free agents moving. We saw Michael Waka sign with the Kansas City Royals, joining Seth Lugo. Those were a couple of arms that I thought at the right price could make some sense to help fortify the Braves' rotation. No, they're not a bona fide number one or number two starting pitcher. They're not somebody who's going to lead you through the playoffs necessarily. They're just not those kind of arms. But given that the Braves could use another starter, in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of people, including the Atlanta Braves, just from hearing from Alex Anthopoulos, it's an area they would very much like to fortify before they get to spring training. Those were arms that at least looking at the available options might have been worth finding at a one or two year deal. Both of those guys, though, got pretty substantial offers to join the Kansas City Royals. Now, I joked on social media, and perhaps this is the case, they saw that Will Smith, the former Braves closer, World Series champion in 2021, went to the Astros in 2022, won the World Series, then won the World Series again with the Texas Rangers just this past October. Maybe him going to Kansas City is a harbinger for free agents to know that the next club in line to win it all is the Royals. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but either way, it's good to see a team like the Royals. It does have some young talent spending to at least improve, to be competitive in the American League Central in 2024 and beyond. And I think about this, that division, if I've talked about any division on this show that seems to fall under the category of somebody has to win it, so it may as well be us. I think the American League Central could very much be that division. The Cleveland Guardians, they're not holding on to all their pieces. It looks like the Minnesota Twins are actually cutting payroll. Royals, the Tigers, they've got some young talent. They could improve. They could be players in that division. And the White Sox, well, they've got a lot to figure out. I think that division's wide open. So if you're the Kansas City Royals, making the right series of moves just might get you into contention in the Central. And if you're able to somehow win that division, punch your ticket to October, and at least get there, that's a step forward. But there's a lot of ifs and a lot of things that would have to come into place for that to be the case. But considering the trade for Cole Reagans a year ago, I don't know. I'm kind of looking at the Royals and thinking, hey, maybe why not? If they're able to make a few more moves and get some of their younger players, including Bobby Witt Jr., who very much could be a big-time star in this game very soon if he's not already, you get all those guys turning in the right direction, this is a club that could be on the rise. So something to keep in mind. Meanwhile, the Braves have been on the rise for quite some time, having won the World Series in 2021, six consecutive division crowns, but a bitter taste in their mouths the last couple of Octobers, trying to find ways this offseason to address the needs that they have. I think starting pitcher, that remains a focus. That's where you want to add moving forward before spring training, or at the very least, trying to figure out ways to give yourself some quality depth so that you can continue to evaluate that over the course of 2024 and maybe make a move in season. I don't know that it's gotten to that point yet where there's not enough options out there and where the Braves couldn't pull off another trade that could answer that question, but we're all going to find that out together over the next couple of months before spring training. That aside, the Braves came into the winter shopping for a left fielder. They found it in Jared Kelnick. We've talked a lot over the past few episodes in the past few weeks, ever since that trade went down on the Sunday before the winter meetings got started, about what this trade means and how Kelnick will fit into a youthful Braves outfield and into that young core that the Braves have signed for a very long time, really for the rest of this decade, setting themselves up for the opportunity to contend for more deep runs through October. Now, Kelnick comes over from the Mariners where he was a prized prospect who just never really seemed to put it all together. At 24 years old, though, he still has that opportunity. 
So let's hear a little bit from the new Atlanta left fielder, Jared Kelnick. He talked to the media this week and fielded a variety of questions, including his excitement about joining his new club, or really what he learned over the past three years in Seattle, which I thought was a very interesting look inside. It's still a young player. Again, he's just 24 years old, but maybe how he has matured as he has started to acclimate to the big league level. And that all began with some success, some, I think, long-awaited success at the start of 2023. A hot start over the first six weeks of the season. He was flashing the power. The batting average was finally where many people expected it to be upon arriving in the big leagues. And Kelnick shared a little bit about what exactly went right early on in the season before he had to go through some adversity, which we'll get to a little bit later. Everything was just kind of synced up really well. You know, I'm someone that has, last year I had a lot of I think moving parts, I would say. And I have a bigger leg kick naturally, but I had a hand pump thing that was kind of working for me. And I just think that I was being really consistent with my movements. My body was feeling really good. I was fresh from, you know, the off season. It was early. So I think that was everything was synced up and I was just seeing the ball really well. And so, you know, going into this off season, that's something that I want to focus on is making sure that, you know, I'm a little bit more short and compact, so like I'm able to be more, a little bit more consistent so that I can hopefully have you know, those first two months of the season the, the entire year. And Kelnick batted over 300 in the month of April, had an OPS approaching 1,000. Again, the home runs were coming, but as he got into the month of May, he was carrying that hot start. He batted 296 over the first 46 games of the season. Then it was the next 30 or so games. He batted just under 170. That led into a July in which those frustrations finally boiled over and he kicked that water cooler, broke his foot. Uh, just a lot of things that just did not go the way that Jared Kelnick had envisioned and the way that they had gone early in the 2023 season. But this is where the lessons started to kick in and some of the learning that you do beyond the success or the failure on the field for Jared Kelnick. He discussed his struggles, starting with what was not happening at the plate the way it was over the first month and a half. I mean, it's like anything, you know, when you play 162 games, my hand pump kind of got a little bit bigger. My hands were dropping a little bit lower. My leg kick was kind of getting a little bit higher uh, subconsciously. It wasn't something that I was working on or anything like that. And then I think when you have those, a lot of those moving parts, I think it can cause you to be, it's hard to reciprocate that over and over again. And so for me, um, I think that I just, I got a little bit out of sync. My body wasn't moving as consistently. And I think that that, if your body's not going to move consistently, I don't think you're really going to ever see consistent results. Um, and so, you know, my main focus is how consistent can I be with how my body moves to give me the most consistent results. That's one thing to not be getting the results you want to at the plate. And that's when a lot of the hard work and the grinding comes to get through that 162. When those frustrations boil over and physically you suffer an injury that doesn't happen so much on the field, but happens at your own doing because your frustrations got the best of you. Well, that compounds a problem, and that's exactly what happened to Jared Kelnick just after the All-Star break when he kicked a cooler, fractured his foot, and then ended up missing significant time last year and, and really derailed what was a season in which it seemed like he might finally be finding some answers at the plate to establish himself as a big league player. Now, after something like that happens, as you might imagine, in the midst of the injury when you've got nothing else to do, maybe it's time for a little bit of an introspective approach to dig deep and to learn from that experience. And that's exactly what Jared Kelnick did in his time away from the game, which helped shift his perspective when he got back on the field. You know, one of the things that I just like opened my eye to was I just, after something like that had happened and I basically, I caused it, like it was all on me. Like I was the one that chose to do it. It isn't until like you affect other people. Like 
because I broke my foot, I wasn't able to go out and play every single day. And those fans that pay money to come and watch me play, like I kind of took that personally that, you know, because I did something stupid, I wasn't going to be, be, be able to be out there and play for the fans that were coming to watch. And it kind of just made me take a step back when, especially when you're hurt, you can't really do anything. And I have, I was in a booth for four weeks. You know, I took a step back and I just like kept thinking to myself, like, you know, what am I, what am I doing? Like, I'm not happy. Like I'm not, you know, I'm way too frustrated. I'm, I'm letting the, my emotions get the best of me. I'm not even enjoying this. And I guess it made me take a step back and realize how lucky and how thankful I am to be in the position that I am. And I get to go out I've, ever since I was a young kid, I wanted to play in the big leagues and here I am. And so when I'm in the big leagues and I'm breaking my foot out of frustration, like that just can't happen. And so it made me appreciate the game a little bit more. And when I finally got back, like even when I was on my rehab assignment and I was just like back on a baseball field, like I hadn't felt that joy just to be back out on the field because I just truly felt thankful to have the opportunity to be out there and playing again. And uh, it was just something that reminded me every single time that I took a step and I was like, oh, my foot or something like that right away. I was like, you know what? I'm just happy to be here and I'm going to go out and give it everything I got. And that's enough. As a much heralded prospect who has now been part of two trades in his young career, Kelnick knows that the talents are there, but now it's about turning that potential into results. And he believes he's finally with the team. It's going to help him do just that. I still believe in the ability that I have. I know what I'm capable of doing. Um, I think that my first like two months last year and I think I'm capable of doing that throughout a season. And I mean, at the same time, like I'm human too. So like when I, when you go through struggles, like you're, you're going to be humbled and that's just the nature of the beast. But one thing that I am thankful for is that like I have a really good support staff behind me my family is unbelievable to help me get through like tough times like that. But those tough times are things that I need to, in order to give me that confidence moving forward. And granted, it was like, there's a lot of tough times. I, like, I'm thankful for it all. Not that the Seattle Mariners didn't enjoy some success during Kelnick's three-year run there, but this Braves team, as we saw a year ago, especially offensively, it's just built different. There are not too many teams in baseball that are going to be able to do the kind of things that the Braves lineup has the potential to do again in 2024. Now Jared Kelnick gets to be a part of that lineup, and that's something he is very excited about. The most exciting thing for me is being able to not only be teammates with those guys, but also be able to just kind of watch how they go about their business on a day to day and really learn the ins and the outs of you know what they're doing. Because obviously it's working. I mean, they're the, the, some of the best players in the game on that roster. And so that's one thing that I'm really looking forward to. And I think that it'll allow me to you know just get comfortable in the box and really hone in on you know, what makes me click and what makes me the best version of myself. And I think if I can just focus on that, I think I'll be right where I need to be. A lot of what was on Jared Kelnick's shoulders as he began his big league career was trying to live up to the significant hype that comes with being a top prospect. We already heard what he learned last year through the broken foot situation, but as far as trying to live up to lofty expectations that are heaped on a young player, especially one as talented as Kelnick, that's another situation altogether. I would say that when I first came up to the big leagues, a lot of, I didn't know what to expect, honestly. And I, looking back on my, the struggles that I had in the, in the big leagues and stuff like that, like some of those struggles were some of the biggest lessons that I've learned and some of the ones that I needed to learn. And um, some of the biggest takeaways from my first like three years or three seasons in the big leagues would be, 
that learning how to kind of turn the page and just like let things go. And, you know, my foot was a prime example of that, of like a real turning point in not only just baseball, but also like just my life in general, how I view it. Like, granted, it was a terrible thing, but it was one of like the best things that had ever happened to me. And, you know, I look at the struggles that I had there. They made me who I am today, but also like they taught me a lot. And I feel like now, I mean, like anything, the older I get, the more information I learn and the the better off I'm going to be. So I would say that a lot of learning the last three years, that's for sure. 2023 was a year of ups and downs, but it was a year of learning. It was a year of growth for Jared Kelnick, who now comes into his age 24 season looking to really establish himself at the big league level with a brand new club and a club that's looking to run deep into October as well. So Kelnick's looking to take all the experiences he had in Seattle, distill those lessons and start a new chapter in Atlanta, one that he's very excited to get going. I'm just thankful for the opportunity to go to an amazing organization and have the ability to go out and learn from, you know, an amazing staff and just like the Braves culture in general. Um, You know, when I played there last summer, um, you know, seeing guys like Chipper and those guys around was something that I was like, I thought was amazing. But, you know, I, I definitely am looking forward to a fresh new start, but being able to gone through the adversity that I went through and being able to just apply it in my day-to-day work as I move forward throughout my career. I'm really looking forward to, you know, being myself and having a a clean slate. Now, a new team means a new opportunity. And you can already tell from what we've talked about here on the show, and I'm sure what you've read and heard everywhere is that the Braves, well, they went through a lot of trouble to acquire Jared Kelnick. They're still making deals and moving contracts and shifting money around from the creativity it took to pull off this trade with the Seattle Mariners, in which they took on significant money. Just under $30 million in contract obligations to two players they didn't even want that they've traded before ever playing a game in Atlanta. That's just how much Atlanta believed the acquisition cost of Jared Kelnick was going to be worth it, that it was going to pay off, that they were going to get this young player with five years of control and plug him into the core of a team that is built to win for basically the rest of this decade at least. So Kelnick shared his thoughts on what that all means and how that makes him feel about joining this Braves team. I had some conversation with some people in the front office with the Braves and they spoke really highly of me when we talked on the phone and I was really happy to hear that. And at the end of the day, like, I know that I need to just go out and take care of business and do my job. And that's all I can control. But to hear the support that I have from an organization I haven't even played for yet um, was definitely reassuring. And um, it makes me like just super excited to get to work and get out to Florida and start spring training right away. You'll find out a lot about what it means to be an Atlanta Brave and, of course, get to know his teammates and go to battle with them in 2024 and beyond. But he does have a little bit of knowledge that he's gleaned about Atlanta over the last few years. I have a few buddies that played in the Braves organization and still play in the Braves organization. But everything that they talk about is that they do it the right way and that they truly care about their players. And it's like a family type organization. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to. It's something I value uh, a lot. You know, I was raised a blue collar family that really values relationships and just being a good person in general. And so to know that you're going to an organization where they really value that is really exciting for me. And I think it's going to help propel me to get the most out of me and just make me the best version, not only the best player, but the best individual person that I can be. And that's exciting because I'm still young. I'm only 24 years old and there's, you know, a lot of 
a learning that I still need to do, but to know that I'm going into an organization that really teaches and values that is awesome. So those are some of the takeaways from New Atlanta left fielder Jared Kelnick, who spoke with the media this week. Good to hear some of those thoughts, and obviously folks were wondering, what did he learn last year? What has he learned over the first three years, and how can he turn that potential into results with his new team? Well, Kelnick seems to be very excited to get to spring training and get that whole process started. Speaking of new teams, I don't know that there's going to be a bigger story that we're going to find this offseason or perhaps any other than Shohei Otani's free agency landing him with a new team. Now, I don't think it's surprising that the team that signed him was the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, we've been reading about this for years. The fact that they've basically had a ringside seat to see what Shohei's doing on the other side of town. And you'd kind of have to be blind as a baseball fan and, of course, as a baseball executive, thinking about ways to improve your team if you weren't looking at Shohei Otani and thinking about, uh, I don't know, what if we could sign this guy? Now, very few teams are going to be able to ask that question and find the answer to it. As we found out, though, there was a lot of creativity that went into the deal to sign Otani. The record $700 million contract has a record $680 million in deferred money. Now, it ain't nothing, and it's going to affect the Dodgers' luxury tax, but as we've already seen, it's not going to stop that club, which we know has a propensity for spending, to continue to do that. What it means long-term for both Otani and the Dodgers, we're going to find out over the life of this 10-year contract, and then they'll figure out all that deferred money, which is perhaps a conversation for another time. But I did want to kind of hone in on the Shohei Otani sweepstakes and the departure from the Angels, the move across town to Chavez Ravine, and all the other stops that were rumored to be along the way, whether you were tracking flights or not. Shohei Otani's free agency was the major story of this offseason, and we're going to find out what he does in his career moving forward because he's finally getting a chance to play for a team that has October goals, October aspirations, and really a mission to win the World Series every year like the Los Angeles Dodgers. To help me talk all about that, I got my buddy Victor Rojas, who's going to join me, longtime voice of the Angels. You can also subscribe to his podcast. It's called Angels Win. You can get that wherever you get your podcast. You can also follow him on social media. Most platforms at Victor Rojas is where you can do that. Victor, great to have you back on the show. When last we spoke, the question was, should the Angels trade Shohei Otani? We got the answer to that one, but uh, the free agency, the sweepstakes, if you will, that one uh, provided quite a few headlines and culminated this week with a huge, a record-breaking contract with the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, in retrospect, you can look back at the situation that the Angels were in and things that have come out over the last uh, 24 hours, they probably should have traded Shohei at the time uh, with all things considered but look I, I think we when we spoke over the summer and not many people were saying it the money was going to be fungible no matter yeah, what uh, yeah. he was going to get his money it's how it was going to be structured and what it meant for him mm-hmm. uh, whether it was location or legacy or anything to that effect and uh Clearly, he felt that the Dodgers had the best opportunity to win. It was an easy transition from him from Orange County up to uh, L.A. And look, he's going to get his money. And so um, the agent got the record deal surpassing five, six, and seven and putting his name in the record books and show he's going to get his money. And and it looks like the Dodgers are not wasting any time whatsoever. So the sad part about it is is that it appeared as if the Angels were given an opportunity at the very end to kind of match or even be involved. And they decided that for whatever reason that they weren't going to be involved, which, uh, you know, just brings up a, a, you know, brand new set of questions as to what was going on, what was the mindset back in August 
when you could have traded him and gotten something in return rather than just a comp pick yeah. that they're going to get. Yeah, there's just so many different questions and, I, I don't know, topics that you can get into with this deal. As you mentioned, it was record-setting. The sweepstakes, it was interesting, even if some of the intrigue that came, including tracking flights at the very end, was exactly what the superstar free agent was trying to avoid throughout this process. I think he was able to accomplish that for the most part. And when it was all said and done, I feel like he landed with the team that many, if not most, suspected was going to go all out to sign him. Sure, there may have been other clubs involved and in that hunt. Maybe even the Angels there at the last minute had their opportunity. But Otani to the Dodgers felt to me, if you'll allow me, in the words of Thanos, it felt inevitable. Yeah, well, there's no doubt. I think I think everyone thought that they were the front runner. I think when Toronto came into the mix and was mentioned and as serious as a as a bid as it was, I, I honestly thought that that was a possibility as mm-hmm. well. Uh, look, Shohei's been one of those guys that never really craved the limelight, likes obviously his privacy as we saw as this whole thing played out this offseason. I thought Toronto would have been a fine place for him to kind of be able to do his thing, be in a competitive division, a team that's got some superstars on it, got a chance to win, mm-hmm. and kind of in an international city. So it would have made sense. But at the end of the day, uh, he chose to be uh, closer to where he already was. He had a, a very good six-year run uh, with the Angels. There were some injuries, obviously, that hampered his ability you know, to fully maximize his potential and, and his numbers. But overall, he's obviously a, an incredibly talented guy. The only thing that I thought for sure would come into play as a possible negative for the Dodgers in wooing Shohei would be you know, the whole limelight thing, the whole, you know, it's L.A., it's Hollywood, uh, in yeah. your face. And I just thought that maybe that would be a little too much for him, just being around him and, and knowing the type of personality that he is. But clearly he, he loves the big stage. Clearly his game uh, rises to the top uh, in those big situations, as we saw in the WBC. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have no doubt that he'll continue to do what he's done, but, you know, barring any injuries or setbacks with the Dodgers. Well, Victor, let me ask you about this contract because, yes, it is a record. It's $700 million, but the amount of deferred money, the $680 million in total, I think that caught everybody by surprise, just the sheer amount of it. So uh, when I had you on the show back before the trade deadline, you talked about how Otani has revenue and value that just is attached to him that goes far beyond his on-field endeavors. He makes an estimated 40 to $50 million, according to some reports that came out when he signed the contract and the deferred money was discussed. That's aside from whatever he makes on the field, and that makes this deferred deal not only possible, but a huge benefit for the club, in this case the Dodgers, who have signed him. Have you been able to unpack this contract, just the, the totality of it all and all the ramifications that it has? Because it's unlike anything we've ever seen, which I guess should go with a player who's unlike anything we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I, obviously, when you're talking to a player of that magnitude and the and the contract, uh, it's probably going to match. And, you know, kudos to the Dodgers uh, for being creative uh, and being able to do something like this and really kick the can down the road. You know, we'll see what, how it all plays out when, when they've got to pay both Mookie and Shohei's uh, deferred money. And because yeah. you're, now you're talking about 70, you know, 70, $75 million each year um, deferred money on top of whatever that payroll is going to be for the organization at that time. So, you know, but like I said, it's kicking the can down the road. You know, maybe the Dodgers sell between now and then. Maybe they don't. I know from the Angels' perspective, uh, considering where Artie is at uh, from an age perspective mm-hmm. and uh, everything we'd heard from him exploring uh, the sale last year, it would have made perfect sense for him to go ahead and sign him and, and 
with the deferrals, especially if it was pitched by CAA, uh, yeah. Shohei's representation, because at the end of the day, you're going to reap the benefits of the valuation of your organization going upward. You reap the benefits of the revenues that are going to be generated from a guy like Shohei, and you know what those are currently because you've had them for the last six years and what they potentially could be uh, going forward. And, you know, hey, at the end of the day, you could five years down the road, you know, see your, your valuation skyrocket to the point where you're like, okay, I'm going to tap out now cash out. And then, like I said, you've kicked the can down the road to the next owner and that deferment uh, is that person or that individuals or that group's uh, situation to handle uh, at that point. So that's where I think it's kind of weird. Somebody missed an opportunity. Somebody read the room incorrectly as uh -huh. far as the angels were concerned back in August, because uh, we all knew what the numbers that were being thrown uh, around as far as show. Hey, speculation was in that four or 500, you know, million range, uh, 40 to $50 million a year range. Mm -hmm. That was being thrown around all summer long. And so if that was the case and you made the decision to not trade him because you wanted to go all in to re-sign him, then why didn't you go all in to re-sign him? Uh, and if someone misread the room, then Shohei maybe gave some indications that he was going to explore the free agency, which he was, yeah. you know, you probably should have traded him and, and gotten the best package for it and still made a play for him in the offseason. That's where I think uh, there's a disconnect, and I think that's where Angel fans are waking up today not very happy to hear the story that the Angels were given one last opportunity to kind of match a deal or at least get involved at the last minute and decided not to. And in addition to that report that came out, it was, what, a couple of days ago that uh, Farhan Zaidi of the Giants also said that a similar deal or the structure of this contract was part of the negotiations with at least San Francisco. I thought that was fascinating because you knew if you were a club that was going to be interested in Shohei Otani and trying to you know, woo him and bring him in, that the average annual value of the contract was going to be a big deal. The length of the contract was going to be a big deal. But the winning was also going to be, a, a, obviously, a large component in this. Maybe location was going to be. I mean, there were so many questions just swirling around, and it looks like for Otani, and we'll talk about this in a moment, You know, geographically speaking, he's kind of right back where he started in one way or another. But the deal also gives the Dodgers or whatever club that was going to sign him the ability to keep on adding. So they'll be able to keep going out and doing things because they're not having to pony up the $70 million in each of the 10 years of this contract. They could go out and trade for Tyler Glass now, which is something they were doing this week. They can add more to this club. And Otani signing with the Dodgers because he wants to win may have been the biggest and most important selling point, like I said, but he also does get to stay in that region that he has called home to start his MLB career how attractive do you feel like that was for him? Well, I mean, it's obviously very attractive to him. And as far as the deal structure is concerned, look, anybody could have done this from a Major League Baseball perspective. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no rules preventing the situation from a deferral standpoint. Teams have been able to do this since the beginning of time, since the beginning of collective bargaining agreement, especially over the last uh, 15 years. The language hasn't changed in the CBA as it relates to the deferrals. And so those opportunities were there. Kudos to Nezbolello and CAA for exploring it and making it an option and making palatable for organizations to, to sit there and say, hey, you know, we don't have to take a $70 million hit. We can take it, what I guess it ended up being like $47, $48 million hit, uh, which is what everybody kind of expected and still be able to do it. The Dodgers have enough from a resources standpoint to spend, and they're not afraid to go up against the cap. They're not afraid to go over the cap. They have the ability to do so. And so I think they're going to obviously – go out there and show their fan base that they're serious. And, you know, obviously following up the show, a press conference with the announcement of the uh, trade that's in place with the Tampa Bay Rays, that would bring them Tyler Glass. Now uh, it, it just shows that what they're willing to do 
going forward. And I think that's what Shohei wanted. He wanted the reassurement, not just, yeah, we're going to be competitive, but actual management going out and doing things and showing him, well, this is what we're going to do and we're going to do it immediately. Mm-hmm. That That's huge. And mm-hmm. uh, clearly he feels like he picked the right spot. I'm happy for him. Look, he earned every right to become a free agent. Uh, he put up the numbers necessary. And he's getting what the open market is bearing out. Uh, and, and people tend to forget that this is a kid that, he played at the major league minimum when he first came over. He right. wasn't one of those guys that came over. It was a, like Yamamoto that's going to cost the team a $300 million posting fee plus contract and all that. You know, he came over and there was a posting fee, but he made the major league minimum and then got a bump up in year two and then jumped up in arbitration in year three and so on and so forth. So he went through the process. He earned this opportunity and I don't think anybody faults him for it. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, you know, how it all played out, you know, that's <laughs> the ridiculousness of it all is, uh, you know, will be rehashed over and over again every year uh, with the hot stove. But uh, look, at the end of the day, he got what he wanted. He got to be where he wanted to be uh, with a team that's going to push for uh, for contention, uh, especially in the National League West. And we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. After having a lot of trouble finding his way into October, he did sign with a club that finds itself there many more times than not and has for quite some time. Now, this contract, this unique deal for the most unique star of all time, a hybrid player the likes of which we have never seen before and may never see again. However, we also know, Victor, that he's not going to pitch in 2024 I'm not sure that I'm alone in wondering how long he'll be able to keep up his two-way career, particularly in the face of injuries. It can happen at any time to any player. I mean, Shohei Otani included. Obviously, it's already happened to him a couple of times in his major league career. What's your take on the viability of him remaining the two-way star? I know that's not going to stop the Dodgers or any club from wanting to have him for as long as it will last, but I am kind of curious about how he's going to age because we have absolutely nothing and nobody to compare him to. Yeah, I mean that's this thing we got to wait and see how it all plays out. I, look, he's a he's a specimen, but now he's broken down twice. So we'll see how the elbow holds up and see how long that he can sustain that. Uh, I don't think it's going to diminish his marketability, uh, especially if he continues to put up the numbers offensively. Uh, I think the bigger impact might be uh, when he returns to the rotation if he's healthy. Um, you know, the impact of a of a six man rotation to kind of modify things for him yeah. uh, and how it impacts the other individuals that have not been accustomed to a six-man rotation in the past. You know, the Angels did a lot of things to accommodate Shohei. I'm assuming the Dodgers will do the exact same thing uh, so that you could try to keep him as healthy as possible, especially considering the fact he's had multiple surgeries on that right arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, again, it's one of those things we'll just play out and see. Well, We'll see how it goes towards the end of 24, if he has some ability to throw towards the end of 24, but uh, certainly as we get into spring training at 25 um, and the season uh, when it begins, when he's 100% healthy, you know, how it all shakes out for the Dodgers. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to follow that to see you know what the uh, trek back to the mound is going to be because when he's on, one of the best pitchers that you'll find in baseball and also one of the best hitters that you'll find in baseball. Not going to be too many players yep. like that, but I want to wrap this up and just kind of ask you in terms of the big picture, this deal is a record setter. The deferred money, obviously a big story. How do you think Shohei Otani's contract affects free agents in the future? Because it does feel like even though deferred money has been in place and it's been part of contracts for a very long time, this feels at least a bit like a game changer, doesn't it? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I think it all depends on the situation. I think it depends on the player. Uh, I think more times than not, you're going to be uh, finding organizations that would prefer to just, you know, knock it out of the way, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, as it's, yeah. as it's scheduled. 
But I think if you run into situations like a Bryce Harper, or Mike Trout, or Shohei Otani, those type of superstars, or Ronald Acuna with mm-hmm, the Braves, mm-hmm. if it ever gets to that point, you know, then you just got to do some, you know, magic math and, and figure it out and, and see if it works. But I think every organization, every market is completely different. I think that's one of those things that it'll be on a case-by-case basis. At least that's how I, I see it today. Yeah, no, I would agree with that because it is going to be dependent on the player, the market, so many other factors, what teams are involved, all of those things. But one of the biggest stories and biggest free agents we'll may ever see in our lifetime, Shohei Otani, just continues to – I continue to marvel at what he has brought to the baseball world. Uh, just throw this contract on his list of accomplishments. Victor, I appreciate your time so much, your insights on Shohei Otani, and you know, look forward to chatting with you throughout the course of the hot stove and through the regular season. What are you working on these days, and uh, where can folks find everything that you're up to? Oh, just doing the Angels Win podcast periodically during the hot stove and just taking it all in right now, enjoying the family, especially here in the holiday season. Well, a very happy holidays and Merry Christmas, and look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks, Grant. Well, that is going to bring us to the end of this edition of From the Diamond. We got through a lot. A couple of more Braves trades. You heard from Jared Kelnick, the Braves' new left fielder. And we got some Shohei Otani talk in and what was an historic week across the baseball world in terms of free agent contracts. It might be a minute before we surpass what Shohei Otani did. And then uh, maybe based on the structure of the deal, it won't be that long. Either way, we'll find out together moving forward. As always, I appreciate you making some time to join me this week. I appreciate my guest, Victor Rojas, for checking in to give us those Otani insights. And I want to remind you, make sure you're following along on social media at Grant McCauley on most platforms. You can subscribe to From the Diamond wherever you get your podcasts. And FromTheDiamond.com has got a lot of useful links on that top navigation bar. You can use those to connect as well. We continue to count down to 2024. The countdown to spring training, I guess, will really pick up some steam after January the 1st. But I'll have some more Braves insights for you on or around or just beyond the Christmas holidays. So I look forward to catching up with all of you again soon. Stay safe out there. Have a great Christmas and holiday season. And I will catch you on the next edition of From the Diamond. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.